1: This Save the Nation on ADH-TV. I'm David Flint, and I'm delighted to have with us Peter O'Brien, a former retired Army officer, then uh, in computers, and now uh, a very effective and authoritative commentator in relation to the current issue of The Voice, for which uh, Peter has written a book, which is the... Uh, indigenous voice to parliament the no case he's also written bitter harvest on the about mr pascoe and before that villain or victim and all of these are with uh, connor court publishers in queensland and we'll be putting up a little notice about that in case you wanted to see a copy of uh, peter's book welcome peter thank you david Now, uh, Peter, you are an expert in this area, in the area of the voice. You have a book on it, and I think you're one of the few people actually with a book in it, uh, apart from the pamphlets which have now been put online by the Electoral Commission. What was your reaction to the yes and no pamphlets?
0: Um, Well, my reaction was that I think, uh, as far as the, uh, No no is concerned, I think it was very clever that they were to include uh, quotes from uh, Professor Greg Craven and from um, Thomas Mayo. That was uh, a masterstroke in my view.
1: What the one from, uh, the one from Professor Craven, Greg Craven, is something he's complaining about. He's not complaining that he has been misquoted he's not complaining that they haven't said that he is in favor of the voice he's complaining that they actually published what he said am i right there that's
0: that seems to be the case but i don't i don't think he has a case uh, to argue he, he made that statement he's acknowledged that he's a uh, supporter of the voice and so anything he says is in the public domain and it's fair game to include in the
1: argument. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. He said what he said. He also said that he supported the voice. They've quoted that in the no case. They've said that this is what Professor Craven, who supports the uh, the yes case, actually said about it. He said it was fatally flawed. Did he not? He said he it- did indeed, and um, that's. Please continue. Okay.
0: Uh, it's pretty hard to um, walk away from that. If something is fatally flawed, how can you then turn around and say you support it, particularly as something is the change to the Constitution?
1: He's hoisted on, he's hoist on his own petard, is he not, as they say. He has said this. Indeed. He has said it's fatally flawed. And by that he meant, as I understand it, that because it can make recommendations to the executive government. He said it can deal with anything from, uh, was it submarines to parking or something of that nature? Parking tickets, yes. Submarines to parking tickets. He said this. He also said something today, incidentally, uh, the day that we're interviewing one another. He wrote in his column in The Australian, The Australian is very generous and gives him a very full column quite often, I suppose I shouldn't say this, but I will say it, to quite often repeat what he said before. But in it, he says that in the 1999 referendum, the monarchists said that if we became a republic, we'd be thrown out of the Commonwealth. We didn't say that, and he should really check on what we said before he says that. We reacted to the Attorney General for the Commonwealth, the Australian Commonwealth, who was saying that if we became a republic, we could smoothly continue as a republic within the Commonwealth of Nations. As indeed India did. Yes. What we said was, what we said was no. We said when India decided to do that, the rest of the Commonwealth had to agree. The same happens with everybody else. Usually nothing happens. But when South Africa became a commonwealth, having told the people of South Africa that they could become a commonwealth but stay in the commonwealth, which uh, no doubt influenced the English-speaking people in South Africa, when they became a republic, they found that India blocked the continuation of South Africa and the Commonwealth because of apartheid. A similar thing happened in relation to Fiji. When Fiji became a republic, India banned Fiji from the Commonwealth because they didn't like the way they thought they were dealing with people of Indian origin in that country. What we said when the Attorney General of Australia, was in the Liberal government, but who was a Republican, said, no problem, we will continue. If we become a republic, we'll continue within the Commonwealth. The Australian Republican movement was saying the same thing. We said, no, that's not the case. What happens is the Secretary General contacts everybody, all the members, and asks whether it's acceptable. Normally it is. But on this occasion, Dr Mahathir has already rejected us from forming or joining a European Union Asian organisation called ASEM, We were blocked by Malaysia, not because of Malaysia so much, because Dr. Mahatir had shown over the years that for some reason he hated Australia, he was educated in Australia, so something must have gone wrong there when he was educated in Australia because he seemed to have enormous antipathy to the country. And we said, you, you really need to know this and you really need to make preparations for this if you think that uh, the Australian people are going to vote for your republic. We don't think they are, but you think they are. You should be checking on this. Well, when, when we said this, Bob Hawke said I was lying and to have a former prime minister have you announced as a liar in the media is uh, not very pleasant. Anyway, I got a letter from the Secretary-General of the Commonwealth, he he uh, sent it very quickly to me, and it set out precisely what happens in those cases. Secretary-General was in Nigeria, Chief Anyaku, and he gave me this letter, and it was exactly as we said. If you wish to stay in the Commonwealth, you have to have the approval of everybody else. Normally, there's no problem, but admittedly, it did happen in two cases. That is. South Africa and also in relation to Fiji. And uh, what we said was, well, shouldn't you be checking on this? Shouldn't you be making sure that Dr Mahati will not cause a problem? Because he did cause a problem with ASIM. And this just indicates that uh, Greg Craven should really check on what he's saying before he says these things. In any event, uh, what what else did you think of the, the yes and no booklets, Peter?
0: Um, I haven't had a chance to look in great detail at them, but it, it struck me that the, uh, the Yes Campaign uh, uh, pamphlet is really about motherhood and vibe um, and um, suggesting that we, need, we must do this. Um, and these are not good reasons to change the constitution.
1: One of them was, uh, surprised me, they said it would save money. What do you think of that? Because you, you know what's been going on in uh, this area. Will it save money? The, the
0: the one thing that it will not do is save money. that's not the only thing, but the spending will increase. It will increase exponentially. Well, that's... there's no suggestion that um, that the this voice will do away with all the myriad of other agencies that we already have providing advice and support to Aboriginal people, uh, but it will add to that by um, establishing a an expensive bureaucracy that will only grow. It's going to be a very expensive exercise.
1: One of the other things was that uh, they said not only would it save money, that they said uh, it will give practical advice that works. Now, do you think the sort of people who seem to be part and partial of the Aboriginal establishment are the sort of people who would be giving practical advice as far as I can see, they haven't been giving that sort of advice, which has had the effect of reducing the gap in the past.
0: Um, no, of course they won't. The people that will be on this voice um, will be comfortably ensconced in Canberra on their little sinecures, and um, and they will they will have no more agency in finding out what's going on on the ground than the existing organisations. It's it's, a du- it's just a duplication. I was looking at the Closing the Gap report recently, and um, one thing that struck me, the, the most important uh, gap is probably the health gap. And that's the one that they spend most on. And annually, we're spending about $550 million a year on health services for Aboriginal people. And of that 550, about 515 or so goes directly to community Aboriginal controlled community health centres. So if that's not grassroots advice and grassroots input, I don't know what is.
1: One of the things which has occurred or is occurring in New Zealand where a similar race-based policy is being adopted is that uh, in determining, when a surgeon determines the priority of operations, apparently a relevant consideration in New Zealand will be the race of the patient. Is this something which uh, you would envisage would be also under consideration here? We saw the other day, for example, a case being brought, uh, as I understand it, to argue that the pension, the old age pension, should be given earlier because of different life expectancies.
0: Yes, um, that, that's a very frightening example that's happening in New Zealand. It's a it's a race-based distinction, and, um, and we're already seeing that happening here in um, Australia with the proposal to that universities should give um, preference to Aboriginal people uh, to a, regardless of their academic um, achievement. So it's it's part of the same same
1: idea. One of the surprising promises of what might happen in the uh, Yes case is that it will bring the country together. Do you see any evidence of the country being brought together by the Prime Minister's proposal?
0: The country is being driven further and further apart, and it's not just by this proposal, it's by the demands that never cease. Um, for Aboriginal activists. It's happening um, every time somebody is welcome to their country or elders are acknowledged and, and I'm getting feedback from people that I know along this line, people who are not um, particularly politically motivated, but they're set up in the back teeth for having this stuff. They're already being divided and the demands that come through the voice are only going to exacerbate that problem.
1: One of, the, uh, one of the aspects of the Welcome to Country is, as I've read in Quadrant, is that it is of recent origin. It's not something traditional. Am I correct there?
0: I believe so. My belief is that it was invented by any dingo in, in the 1970s. And I think it was to do with a, a visiting New Zealand um, a football team. Um, but, but they've picked up on it and um, they've turned it into a um, industry, now an industry. Uh,
1: and another aspect is the flag. The flag is not of antiquity, is it?
0: Sorry, could you say that again, David? The,
1: the, the flag. The flag is not something of antiquity. Oh. It wasn't something which no, flag was uh, the... Captain Phillips saw when he was sailing by.
0: No, the flag was a recent invention. It was a, until recently, until Prime Minister Morrison purchased the copyright to it and, and uh, gave it to the Aboriginal people. It
1: was a private um, symbol. So it's become something which, for example, uh, I remember the New South Wales government deciding that they would spend an enormous amount of money to put it on the bridge. The then Premier, the previous Premier, apparently had a bill for many millions of dollars, 20 odd million dollars, to put the flag on the bridge, would seem to be an extraordinary amount of money.
0: Not only that, um, it's something of an insult to the people of New South Wales who built the bridge, but their flag is now no longer displayed there. So Aboriginal people contributed nothing to the construction of the bridge and yet there they are atop it and the New South Wales flag has disappeared.
1: Yes. The, the fundamental difference really in relation to the future of the Aboriginal people, I think in many ways goes back to the 67 referendum. And on the one hand, after the referendum, you had either bringing them in, making them part of Australia, assimilation, as it was called then. Assimilation is now a dirty word, but assimilation meant no more than you come in and you be treated with the same rights, and the same obligations of everybody else. There would be no difference. That skin color and appearance would make no difference. You would be treated exactly the same. And it was uh, the unfortunate decision of Harold Holt to point Nugget Coombs, who was a central banker of all things, but who had this idea of completely separate development, almost segregated separate, separate development, which really started the problem and that was exacerbated by Whitlam coming in to make people welfare dependent and the Aboriginal people of the time, I think with considerable amusement, referred to what Whitlam was offering them as sit-down money. This seems to be the cause of the problems in this country.
0: David, uh, I was pleased to see that um, Nicholas Hasluck, former judge of the West Australian Supreme Court, was quoted on the uh, No pamphlet. Now, um, Nicholas Hasluck's father, Sir sure Paul Hasluck, yes. um, probably did more than anyone to advance the interests of Aboriginal people. But he, he was a great uh, proponent of the idea of assimilation, to bring Aboriginal people to the same level of stand, standard of living as we all have. Now, the problem was that, as you say, when Nugget Coombs had his way, uh, we've now got this separate development, separate develop, uh, idea of separate development, and we hear um, that uh, if, we don't, uh, if we don't have this voice, we're just doing more of the same. Well, in fact, the voice is more of the same. It's just another level of bureaucracy on top of what's failed in the past and what's failed in the past and the pro, uh, programs that came from nugget like, tombs uh,
1: initiatives. The, there's an organisation, is there not? You say that there are other organisations of the same thing as in the past. Don't we presently have the NIAA, which is some sort of organisation yes. at the centre of these things? Does it have a large... Yes, but the NIAA uh, is, is what you could call the Department
0: of Aboriginal Affairs. It would have once been called Department of Aboriginal Affairs. It's now called the National Indigenous Australians Agency, but it is effectively um, the major organisation that advises the minister and it, um, it dispenses funds. So it is in, it is in fact uh, the voice. And if you read um, its website, you can see that it, it, it has agencies right down to the grassroots in Aboriginal communities. It's already doing what this voice is
1: purported to do. Mm. You, you just cited uh, Justice uh, Nicholas Hasluck of the of, from Western Australia. One of the other citations in the No case is by an absolutely superb judge, Ian Callanan. Ian Callanan uh, on the High Court of Australia. If there was an originalist judge on the High Court of Australia in the American sense, like Justice Thomas, the black judge on the Supreme Court of the United States at the present time, an originals judge, meaning looking at the Constitution as the people who approved it originally, as the founders approved it, with the intention that they had, the meaning that they had, not putting in some modern meaning into the words of the Constitution, choosing the originalist meaning of the text, of the words of the Constitution. And he, he, he is quoted too, I notice, on the no case. I know that reading the no case can get you into trouble because I heard on TGB when the interviewer was reading, was reading something to the Prime Minister, he said, oh, you're just reading the no case, which the interviewer said, no, I was not reading it. I'd written it out myself. But Ian Callanan former Justice of the High Court of Australia, a Queenslander, and a great originalist, that is to say he looks at the original meaning of the Constitution. He's probably been the most federalist of any of our judges in the life of the Commonwealth. He said that this this voice will produce a decade or more, a decade, not just a decade, a decade or more, of constitutional and administrative law litigation. In other words, he's saying this will be a lawyer's picnic. A lawyer's picnic is bad enough because the lawyers, knowing this myself, being a law teacher and having practiced law, the lawyers will be very expensive. But the worst thing about lawyers going into the governance of Australia, as I understand it, is this. It will stop the government of Australia. It will make the country ungovernable because everything will be held up by continuous litigation. Now, this seems to me, Peter, this seems to me what Ian Callanan, who's a man who knows what he's talking about, is talking about in relation to the voice. What do you think?
0: Uh, David, I agree with you. Um, Justice Callanan is the most impressive of the former um, jurists who have made comment on that voice, and his argument is, um, is unarguable. <laughs> to put it um, he um, he points out that um, the, 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 this voice is supposed only to give advice, and and the uh, the people who are serious proponents of it, such as Chris Kenny, always say this voice can only give advice. Um, now I've asked. If that's the case, why does the, the referendum amendment not contain a caveat to that effect? If that's what they really want to happen, that it should be advisory only, why is there no caveat that specifies that? And, and, and um, that would sort of put the argument to bed. I don't think it would um, dispel the concerns that Justice Callanan has, but it would go part of a way to uh, um, blunting the no campaign but rather than saying, the, using the word advice, the, the question says making representations. Now, representations can be demands, and they will be demands. And this will not be, and they've already, the activists have already told us this is not just about, marriage. it's about it's about treaty and reparations and truth telling and all the rest of it. So, so uh, um, Justice Callum is perfectly correct in my view.
1: And putting it into a new chapter. We've never before had a new chapter. And what are the other chapters about? They're about important things like the Parliament, like the judiciary. All of those have separate chapters in the Constitution. But it's even smaller than the miscellaneous chapter. There's a chapter called Mm. miscellaneous in the Constitution. It's just about the national capital and deputies to the Governor-General. Not much Mm. in it. This chapter, this new whole chapter, is half the size of the miscellaneous chapter, which tells you we're not being told much. The complaint about a lack of details is pretty valid when you look at that and you look at the number of words. And it will go as a separate, new, bold, new chapter. It will go to the High Court judges with a signal, this is important. And it will be justiciable. That is to say, they'll be able to examine it because you're right. They they haven't got a provision in there at least trying to make it not justiciable. That is something which can't be the subject of litigation. And there will be all manner of all sorts of applications to the courts. And there will be all sorts of questions about to what extent they're entitled to make Uh, give advice, make recommendations what you're supposed to do when you receive it, how you're supposed to read it, for example they might even say that all politicians have to read it and we know that the politicians quite often many of them read nothing, they wouldn't know what they were passing, they just just sit there and uh, accept the instructions of the party and vote the right way I I think it is an appalling situation and I think he's right there
0: Um, Of course, they they will be obliged to consider it. There's no question about that. So then we we come to the question of what does consider mean? And that would be a justiciable question in in itself, in my view, if um, the voice decided that government had not given it adequate consideration, they could easily take that to the High Court.
1: And why would you put in so many words, there's only half the number of words, of the smallest chapter in the Constitution, which is only the miscellaneous chapter. It's the dog-end chapter. It's only about having a national capital where it's got to be because the New South Welsh were ornery over it having to be within the boundaries of New South Wales. New South Wales carried on about that and about the Governor-General having deputies. All that chapter is about, and it has twice as many words, as this chapter about the voice. How could they possibly... Put in something about the voice, which the prime minister himself has said you'd have to be a very brave government, yes. not to take notice of it.
0: Yes, in fact, the, that um, that new chapter is, is actually less words also than section fifteen of the constitution, mm. which deals with um, casual senate vacancies. So that's how that's how <laughs> ridiculous the idea is. Um, a new chapter. It will it will signal to the high court that this is a constitutional entity in its own right
1: yes and and we we know from the man that one of the men that uh, the prime minister himself put on to his advisory group he's photographed with him that's thomas Mayer. we know that thomas yes. mayo says we will use the voice to punish the politicians who don't do what we tell them Did, didn't he say that he did indeed. It's, that's it. The activists at
0: uh, Mayo and Langton and Davis are telling us what their intentions are, um, but we're not, well, not most of us are not listening to it.
1: And didn't Mayo it's, it's, say, um, didn't Mayo say we have to honour our former elders, our communist elders for doing this?
0: Apparently, yes. <laughs> well but but we don 't worry about what Thomas mayer says he 's irrelevant, according to the support, except he's on the referendum design working group
1: yes the the Prime Minister's appointed him, he appears with him in photographs. Uh, I was very touched when the Prime Minister went, having come back from a few short hours in alice springs they cleaned up alice springs they'd taken all the the people away from the street, so it uh, didn't look too bad for the photographs. He was only there for a few short hours, but then he came back to Canberra and he was near tears when he was talking about the voice. I was very very yeah. moved by that. Yeah, were you? Very moved.
0: Yeah, David, um, the other thing that um, is, is a concern is that we're hearing the question, or well, the Prime Minister's being questioned on his policies in relation to Aboriginal matters. So he is proposing that Parliament will design this voice and there's and being questions on what this Parliament's policies are will they abolish the flag or not that's totally the wrong way to look at it um, once once this thing's in the Constitution any Parliament can de, uh, devise a voice that and give it any powers it wants and if we think uh, and if we think our Parliament wouldn't be so stupid as to see important powers to uh, Aboriginals um, but we've only got to look at what they're doing in relation to climate change, what Minister Bowen is doing to our national self-interest in, the, in, the same, in the, uh, 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 saving the planet. So um, this, open-ended, this open-ended model is, is so dangerous.
1: What the Prime Minister says the Parliament will do is as much meaning as my saying what the Parliament will do he doesn't know what the Parliament will do and uh, telling us what the Parliament will do and won't do. For example, he's now saying it has nothing to do with the treaty, whereas before it seemed to be part of this whole package of having the voice and the which, treaty.
0: Which, which the Prime Minister undertook to uh, honour in full when he became Prime Minister, the whole of the statement. statement. Um, one other thing, David, while I think of it, Talking back to Justice C and Tellingham, he pointed out that it, it would be very quick before this voice would be infiltrated with political parties. The Greens, in particular, um, will infiltrate the voice in a, in a heartbeat. And um, then we will see uh, other wider, a wider political agenda being wielded by the voice.
1: Well, it seems that there is this march through the institutions, isn't there, by the far left? We've seen, for example, the New South Wales Liberal Party from some of the measures that they took before the election, some of the matters in relation to global warming, that they seem to be completely infiltrated by the, the Greens as well. When you look at what yes. they were doing to to coal-fired stations, for example. Yes. In, in fact, uh, Mr yes. Minns, Mr. Mins seems to be more wishing to conserve coal-fired power stations than the previous Liberal government ever did. He does. There was... You were quoting uh, some of the judges who are quoted on the no-case, and, of course, it is, as you know, an offence, some sort of moral offence to read from the no-case, read aloud from the Mm no-case, according to the Prime Minister. But there was one statement by Terry Cole. Now, Terry Cole was a Supreme Court... Justice in New South Wales. In fact, I think I was at law school with him. He was a much more, obviously, influential lawyer. But he said that the the fact that his ha- this voice has a clear potential for great harm, great harm means that it should not be put into the Constitution. This enormous potential for remedial harm is talking about I, I think uh, going to court remedial harm means that it should not be put into the Constitution and he he, he was very strong on this
0: uh, and he's right um, the the whole the whole idea is to is to um, upset the way that we govern ourselves and introduce a new polity or a new Uh, constitutional entity into our polity.
1: Well, at this stage, uh, may I take us to a short break and we'll come back in a moment. Welcome back to Save the Nation. And we're talking here to Peter O'Brien, who is now an expert on The Voice. With his book on The Voice, which has been going around the media and uh, I've seen... uh, Interviews on Sky and other places in relation to the book, and uh, I think it's making its mark in the area. And I do recommend it because it's a a very well argued book. It's not over large, but it will give you greater depth than the the yes and no booklets, which do have their place. There will be a campaign again against the yes no booklets. There was I remember after the 1999 referendum, if you present a a good booklet, obviously there's an attempt to bring it down. And uh, I sniff that one of the things that will be proposed in relation to the yes-no booklets is that there will have to be fact-checking. Fact-checking means that a person or group of a particular political view then censor the document, and they pretend that's fact-checking, and that's what they would be doing if they could on this occasion, but fortunately they can't. I'd
0: probably send it to
1: ACMA, David. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, Peter, uh, how do you think the debate is going?
0: I think the debate is going good for the no case. Um, all the indications are that this referendum will fail, and I don't think that... Um, the S case have got time to um, rescue it. They've, they've dug themselves a big hole and they're not doing anything to get out of it. I what see. concerns me, though, is that um, the scale of that defeat. I really would like to see this thing um, go down in flames because it doesn't. If it fails narrowly. Um, then it's going to be a uh, fester for a long, for another hour, however long. Um, the Australian people need to make it quite clear that. This is not an acceptable um, uh, thing to have in our constitution, and I would uh, I would urge any uh, commentators such as Ben Fordham not to encourage the government to drop this referendum, because it'll just fester again. It needs we need to deal with it here and now, and um, I would like to see m- more emphasis um, on the principle of the thing and not the lack of details. I think there's still too much emphasis from the no case about we we don't know enough about it. We do know enough about it. We know that it's wrong in principle. And I think that should be the principal line of attack.
1: You've noticed, have you not, that uh, the uh, no case has ended quoting, well, they don't quote Alan Jones. They borrow from Alan Jones, Alan Jones, in 1999 had the line, which he gave to many talkback callers, if you don't know, vote no. I suspect that you don't really approve of that, uh, Peter.
0: Um, Not 100%. In my view, that that slogan is a last resort. And that was the purpose of me writing the book. I want people to say I voted no because I did understand the problems with it and and I cover all the... or all, or most of the objections in my book, and I, and I, and that's what I would like to have happen. Because if, if the yes campaign could say we lost because of a negative campaign of if you don't know, vote no, um, they can console themselves and say we'll come back and next time we'll do a better job of selling it.
1: The founders said. But as a last resort, that's that's correct. The founders said, and it's recorded in uh, Sir John Quick and Sir Robert Garran's book about the Federation of Australia, about the Constitution and the way it was achieved. And they say that they put in, the founders put in the safeguards in the Constitution. The safeguards are that there be a referendum. In other countries, and it's still the case in many other countries, constitutional change is done by a supermajority of politicians. Well, I wouldn't trust a supermajority of politicians with the constitution, and I think it's been demonstrated by what's happened in other countries. In uh, Barbados, for example, they became a republic on a supermajority of politicians. They didn't dare go to the people with a referendum, although they said they would, but they didn't do it. What the founders said, we've put in these two safeguards. Firstly, the, the referendum. Then getting a majority in a majority of states, to stop haste by stealth or in haste, to stop changing the Constitution by stealth or in haste, so that there be full discussion, so that the people arrive at a conclusion that this change in the Constitution is desirable, irresistible, and inevitable. That was the phrase they used. The people of Australia have to be satisfied. This is desirable, irresistible, and inevitable. I think they decided that in 1967. They were a bit misled, but uh, we won't go into that now. But they felt the feeling in the country was very strong that the Aboriginal people should be like us they should be fully assimilated, they should have the same rights and obligations, and that itself will fix everything up. No need for sit-down money, no need for people putting into areas of the country where there are no jobs and there's no future. The solution was to treat everybody the same. Is that your feeling, Peter?
0: Um, Yes. Um, I think one of the things that I think you've made this point too, David, is that... um, this, this proposed change is such a major change that to not have a constitutional convention is a major defect in the whole process. The people are not being given their, their opportunity to, to really think this through and have their own input into the process. And um, I noticed that James Allen had a, an interesting article in a, in The Recent Spectator concerning, um, concerning the double majority. And he, claimed, and he argues that our Uh, referendum process is probably the best in the world. It's not not too onerous, as Professor George Williams recently argued, Um, but it is a a very good mechanism.
1: I I almost agree. I I think we made uh, a couple of mistakes. First, to give the monopoly to the federal politicians. It's actually only one house. It can go through It can go through just one house, but it would be very difficult to get it through the Senate because you wouldn't have the funding from the government to actually run it if the government didn't agree with it. So although technically the Senate can go off with its own, it can't. I think it was wrong and a mistake to restrict it just to the parliament. Why not, for example, two states or three states, so that it's not all just the Canberra politicians. At least you could have, for example, uh, Western Australia, Queensland and Tasmania deciding on something. Or alternatively, why not do what's done in Switzerland and allow the people to put in a referendum? You'd need a petition, you'd need a decent majority. You'd have to verify that those signatures supporting the petition were such. But I can't see what's wrong with stopping the people from uh, from passing a referendum. For example, we could pass a referendum no. to stop the payment of politicians, for example. We could make them uh, I, uh, have to uh, be like the old... Uh, the the aldermen in the councils when I was a boy weren't paid. They're now paid a fortune, completely unnecessary. Yes. It hasn't improved anything. The garbage is still collected. Yes, People. but we,
0: um, we're saving the planet now by our uh, net zero... Council resolutions. Yes, so David, I agree with you about the citizen-initiated referendum. I think, um, and um, and as to your point regarding the um, uh, referendum initiated by the states, it's probably it's probably surprising that it that didn't get in there, given that the spirit of federalism was so strong back in 1900, where the states were uh, anxious to preserve their their rights, um, and that might might have got up. You you would know. Whether
1: that was part of yes. the discussion, I'm not sure. Because referendums were very new then. They, they did exist in Switzerland. We were the first country to have the constitution actually approved by referendums. The Swiss didn't. They introduced it, but they, they, weren't, they didn't come in by referendum. And I think we were the first country to have referendums for the purpose of it. And uh, we, we had to have more than one. In New South Wales, there had to be two. And uh, we were strong on that. Uh, the British didn't have them in in their country, and I think it was a wonderful thing. But we should have instituted it. The The Prime Minister, he then was of South Australia, and I've, his name is in the back of my mind, he was very strong on having referendums, and he wanted to have more people's initiatives into the Constitution. And he came along, he had a document, he came along and, Brought it to the convention, and he discussed it with Deacon, and Deacon talked him out of it because Deacon argued that you'd get a similar control through responsible government. Responsible government just means, as as you know, Peter, that uh, governments are formed through having the confidence of the lower house, and they lose office if they lose a vote of confidence mm. in the lower house, yeah. but. Deacon was talking about responsible government at a different time. This was before the two-party, the two-party uh, si- um, situation that we now have in uh, Australia. And they'd rigged, they've rigged the two-party system through preferential voting. They've done that very cleverly, so that uh, yes. it's very hard for small parties to ever get in, new parties to ever get in. the, the preferences leak to the main parties. The Labour Party introduced the caucus vote. It's a Bol- Bolshevik-style rule. The British Labour Party doesn't have it, but the party itself decides how the party will vote. It doesn't happen in London with the British Labour Party. Now, having introduced that control, the Liberals and the coalition have a similar sort of control. So that uh, the, uh, the uh, House of Representatives is just... Uh, it's like fourth-rate theatre, they all know what they're going to do. in the same with question time, the questions are done in the same way. It's not like London where there are real questions asked. There are very real questions asked in the lower house. They're usually written by the whips, particularly by the ruling party's whips, and it's a, chore- a very poor-rate choreography. It's not a real question time. And re- responsible government doesn't work anymore in Australia because the members don't decide who the... Uh, who the government should be? They're all told what to do. So, yeah. but but you 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 are uh, you're conducting a a one-person band, really, Peter, in relation to explaining the no case across the country. And I think you have to be commended on that. Uh, have you had any interesting and aggressive experiences? Um, no, I haven't uh,
0: at this stage. Um, I find that. Um, I have uh, one, had one feedback from a friend of mine who bought a copy of the book. He bought two copies. He gave um, one to a friend who was a yes voter and uh, it turned the yes voter into a no voter. So <laughs> I've had a bit of a win there. And, uh, Very good. But other than that, I haven't had any personal pushback.
1: One of the, one of the interesting things in the, uh, the news poll... The news poll is defective to start off with because if you're doing a, I hope they're hearing me, if the, you're doing a poll for a referendum, you should have, you should have figures for the, for the nation, but you all should also have figures for each state because the states are crucial in the vote. But apart from that, they're showing a fall in the women's vote, which I found interesting.
0: Yes, that's, uh, that's quite significant, I believe. And, and strangely enough, um, I talked earlier about the feedback I'm getting um, against the voice, and almost all of it is coming from women, um, and women who I would not otherwise expected to be quite so vehemently opposed to it. So, yeah, I, I'm seeing that in my own circle.
1: The other thing is that the, the young voters allegedly holding... I must say that every young person I know seems to be opposed to the voice.
0: Well, I'm finding the same thing. I was a function a few weeks ago in which there were quite a few young people and generally the feedback I was getting from them was negative and uh, that surprised me. But I think the educated young people are starting to think about it. I had a, an incident recently where my, um, my grandson, my 15 year old girl son, we were talking about the voice and um, with his family and he said to me, uh, how is it that um, people who signed up served our country and died in wars to defend our country that one day, Anzac Day, and the Aboriginal people get reconciliation week and sorry day and um, all these other ceremonies. And I was quite staggered to hear a 15-year-old put that view. And I was encouraged.
1: That is interesting. That's very interesting. And you would know this coming yourself from a military background, how important this is. Do you think that recognition is a serious issue, or is it just a distraction?
0: Um, David, I, I am opposed to the idea of recognition in any form. Uh, even, even a symbolic recognition in the in the preamble, because firstly, it will not satisfy the activists who are making the noise. It won't mean anything to the vast majority of Aborigines who've never read and will never read the Constitution. Um, and it, it does not add anything to the effectiveness of the Constitution, which is above all a legal document which needs to be as um, unambiguous as possible.
1: I agree with you 150%. However, every second commentator who seems to be opposed to the the voice seems to be also down on his or her knees pleading with the prime minister, saying, if only you allowed us to vote on recognition, this would be completely different. And at least we'd be able to vote for recognition and we could say no to the voice. Do, do you think there's much in um, that? Yes,
0: uh, I, I noticed that as well. As you say, just about every conservative commentator is offering recognition as a consolation prize. Um, now, that's not going to satisfy the activists, and um, and I think we and it sort of needs to be put to bed. I am um, very worried about that.
1: I agree with you entirely. I, I think it's a, it is wrong. There's no need to have this in the Constitution. And if we were going to recognise anybody, the first people we should recognise as those who risked and gave their lives for this country, they are the ones who should be at the very top of a list of recognition. And anybody who is of any age, except the young, Anybody who's been around for uh, the last 20 years, for example, would know if they reflected on it that we had the opportunity to put this in the Constitution in 1999 and we overwhelmingly said no. Isn't that... uh, Don't you think that's appreciated? We had a referendum. Mr Howard put in a referendum on the preamble at the same time as the Republic.
0: Yes, I think... um, And not that... Amount of time has passed since then. Um, We can't keep revisiting this. Well, uh, um, I think that um, the the idea that we should put recognise anybody, or we don't recognise the British people in the Constitution. Constitution refers only to the people. Now, the Constitution owes nothing to Aboriginal law or tradition, and that's not to denigrate those traditions. But they have nothing to do with the constitution which is based on the Westminster system. So putting some form of symbolic recognition, I think of it as constitutional graffiti.
1: What do you think of the variation on that by um, Tony Tony Abbott? I've forgotten the exact form of words, but in a very short phrase, it would recognise the indigenous people, the Aborigines, uh, the British and then the post-war immigrants, all in one line.
0: Um, well, first of all, it, it, that will not satisfy the activists. They don't want to be part of the um, uh, of a group. They want a special mention in their own right. So the question will not go away, and the the constitution works perfectly well without that kind of um, uh, symbolic or recognition. So we shouldn't put
1: it in there. The Constitution is not, uh, it's not a history book, is it? Is it a birth no, certificate? it's not a history book. It's not a declaration
0: of independence or anything like that. It's, 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 a, it's a rule book and a contract.
1: Yes, I, I, I would agree with you. It's really about uh, how we should breast, uh, bring together six self-governing colonies into one country. That was the whole idea.
0: And if we want to recognise the prior occupation of Australia by Aboriginal people, which is a reasonable thing, we did that in um, 2013 um, when the government and both sides of politics approved the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Recognition Act. And that act has now lapsed, but it could be brought back or reintroduced in a moment, and that would give appropriate recognition.
1: I get the feeling that uh, the way in which they added the word recognition into the question is really as a distraction, whereas the real purpose is the voice.
0: That's absolutely correct. They've only um, changed track because they can see that the voice, the undefined voice that they're going to voice upon us is getting pushed back. So now they're appealing to the emotional side of it This is really about recognition and the voice is just a practical way of giving effect to that. That's very, very disingenuous. We
1: we know from the advice of, uh, I think, some of the best lawyers that this will be, this will produce an enormous amount of litigation. We know from the Prime Minister himself that politicians will be very unwilling to refuse that advice and I can only conclude that the result will be that this will make the country even more ungovernable that it is now in the sense of achieving things in the sense of developing in the way that for example in modern times it's almost impossible to build a dam whereas When I was a boy, it was still possible to build dams. And I think this is what is going to be the result. It will make the country ungovernable. If that is correct, and we have some good advice that this is going to happen. Some people say it's not. But some very sound lawyers tell us it will will be the result. Why on earth does anybody want this?
0: Well, I don't. I don't know. Um, they're obviously not listening to what they're being told. And as you say, it's not just uh, eminent legal authorities that are telling us this. It's Thomas Mayo, Marcia Langton, Megan Davis, and many others. Is it? But that we're not listening.
1: Well, it's in the same way, for example, uh, the incredible rush in relation to so-called renewables which are not ready and not going to be ready for a long time and not able to deliver in terms of transmission and uh, batteries which don't yet exist of that enormity in the same way that what they're doing in turning off the coal uh, and ensuring that electricity will be more expensive and will be less reliable in the same way that they seem to be deliberately creating this monstrosity. It's almost as if they want to do something awful to the country.
0: Um, it seems like that. You've only got a Western Australia with their new heritage laws, which, um, which are an imposition that nobody needs and need never have been um, implemented in the first place. As I said earlier, governments um, are not immune to doing stupid things and ceding, ceding more and more power to this voice through legislation is not out of the question.
1: one of the uh, one of the things which I was talking to with Daniel Ten who's uh, a senior writer with Epoch times, is that uh, he was reporting, on something which was reported, uh, I, th- I think, on this channel. And that was the Samuel Griffith. Yes, it was reported on this channel. The Samuel Griffith conference in Brisbane in relation to The Voice, at which uh, Justice Callan and Speck. And uh, there were people present at that conference. They were immigrants from Eastern Europe from the time of communism. And they suggested that there's an extraordinary similarity of the feeling of the creation of the communists. The, creation, the communists created division, because the whole basis of dialectical materialism depends on there being a, a class which will fight against another class. Class warfare is essential. You have to create division. The modern communists have realized that the proletariat is not going to revolt. So the modern communists who march through the institutions have decided to use other things, feminism, for example, and now they're moving into the gay area, transgenderism and so on to divide communities. It would be for some people, and certainly was for these people who'd experienced communism and come to Australia and... Hope that they would get away from it that they were seeing the possibility that this being a similar tool and uh, perhaps it may be for some of them but you think it's just uh, an inability on the part of the politicians to understand what they're doing or is there something more sinister among some people in relation to this?
0: Um, I think it's the fact that uh, most of our politicians, products of the institutions that we talk about, and so they've they've come to their uh, public positions from this background, and and there's also a, um, a tendency not to think through things, just to look at the surface of an argument and um, something that seems attractive, and uh, something like this voice. How can you argue against something against something like this? It's just, it's just a uh, good manners, as the um, uh, prime minister tells us, and uh, I don't, I don't think a lot of people have the intellect or the, or at least the depth of thinking, to fight against this sort of um, dialectic.
1: We we saw this, didn't we, when the legislation was first introduced into the parliament? The whole approach of the government, particularly in the amendments that they made to the referendum machinery act was to do away with the yes no booklet and they were taking very petty advantages for the yes case for example the uh, the uh, tax deductibility that you get when you make a gift was immediately available to the yes case but only very recently to the no case mm-hmm. and The the extraordinary thing I find is that CEOs of corporations, presumably with their boards, the CEOs of corporations are using their public money, the money that belongs to the shareholders, to give money to the yes case. And I'm finding that uh, shops I go to are campaigning for the yes case. And I'm finding that the banks are uh, letting it be known that they too are campaigning for the yes case. is this? Do you think this is in accordance with the duties of CEOs and directors of co- public corporations that they should be using money for something which is not within the remit of their corporations?
0: Absolutely not. They should not be doing that. It's, um, it's well outside their province and... Uh, And the reason they're doing it is because uh, this whole thing is being sold as a moral issue. Uh, And, in fact, you know, so they can say we're not playing politics. We're we're just uh, going along with this grand gesture, this good manners, simple, modest change, because it's being posited as a moral issue. And it's not just the the big businesses. I noticed that... um, ACNC uh, CEO Gary Johns has said that a lot of charities are uh, donating um, to the YES campaign, which would be in breach of their charitable purpose.
1: I noticed that the head of Westerway has previously recently said that uh, the course of this is being watched internationally and it will have some effect on Australia If it goes down. And you, Peter, you yourself have uh, written in Spectator in relation to some comments. It was a very big spread in The Economist in which they took a very superior moral position in relation to Australia. This was The Economist. And you have written in reply to that, have you not, in Spectator? Yes,
0: I was asked to... uh, in a reply to that. And uh, on reading the article, I was astounded at how much misinformation and, uh, was in there. And it was all about the vibe. This was not an article that uh, gave an objective or balanced view of what is the most important issue uh, in discussion in Australia at the moment. It was just a, uh, just cheerleading, cheerleading and totally uh, inappropriate for uh, an organ such as The Economist.
1: Yes, I found that extraordinary that that was The Economist, though I must admit I used to be a very regular subscriber many years ago to The Economist, but it came to my attention that in those areas where I knew something was happening, they seemed to be taking a different position. It seemed to be a smart, young position which didn't really accord with the facts. But certainly you exposed their uh, ridiculous article in Spectator about Australia taking a very grand position, a condescending position into Australia. And one of your very amusing things was to point out they had the date of the constitution wrong. They were talking about uh, a constitution from a different year, were they not?
0: Yes, they. Uh, he talked about the um, constitution being approved in 1901. And my response to that was that the British Parliament was a bit premature in passing the Australian Commonwealth Constitution Act in July of 1900.
1: Mm. This is one of the things, obviously, which the Prime Minister is going to visit upon us in his, I think, his arrogance in pushing this. And this is that when this referendum goes down, the elites here will contact the elites around the world and we will be bagged. Very much across the world, not not by the ordinary people of the world, but by no. s- the similar classes to those who are pushing this here and we'll have a similar bad press in the world. Will this matter terribly much? I wonder
0: hopefully not, but um, uh, if Karl Schwab has his way, maybe it will uh, we'll...
1: well, I must admit that uh, and i am uh, I have to admit i'm very sympathetic to the former President of the United States, but when I read things uh, about what's happening in the United States, I don't immediately take the position that many of my friends do. And uh, I think the same will happen in relation to Australia. I don't think our voting in Australia should in any way be influenced by any fear of what may be happening overseas, whatever Westerways thinks that we should be having regard to. The fact is, yes,
0: but the number of times that we've been we've been forecast that we'd be a pariah, I couldn't count, and um, this will be another one of them. Yes.
1: One of the arguments, one of the many arguments in favour of our becoming not a republic, but a politicians' republic, because you have to remember that the 1999 model was to reduce the checks and balances on the politicians and I think that's important. People should never forget that. It wasn't just about the monarchy. It was also about kicking away checks and balances that the politicians didn't like. And one of the things we were told in many, one of the many arguments for becoming a republic was, oh, it will improve trade. This is absolute rubbish. The idea that people buy goods from Australia but for two things. They buy it for the quality of the goods and they buy it for what they want and they buy it for the price and the delivery. These are the considerations. Yeah. They could not care less what form of government right. we have in this country. And the same applies to us. How many, people, mm-hmm. how many people stop buying from China when they know the terrible things they do as a Falun Gong? and the, the monstrous ways they, they treat the Muslims in China, the terrible things that happen in that country, that doesn't seem to stop people buying from China, does it?
0: Well, it does me at a personal level where, where I can. Um, if I can choose something other than Chinese, I will choose it. But, but it, on the bigger picture, you're absolutely quite right. Um,
1: and you're a rare if, person, if aren't you, on that? probably i'm not sure <laughs> but, but in any event uh, in any event yes. people will not be buying from australia yeah, on the way we vote on the, in this nothing, referendum nothing it will be misrepresented won't it i mean you know that from uh, your valiant uh, efforts against the economist
0: um, yeah, I, I'm afraid that it will be misrepresented um, and the activists will um, keep stirring, stoking the fire, stoking the embers until they, can have, until they get their way, And um, which is, go, I go back to what I said earlier, that it needs to fail spectacularly so that we can at least put to bed the idea that the, uh, the, the Australian people are a racist, well, that we're a racist nation, which is absolutely um, a lie.
1: When you saw that article in The Economist, did it cross your mind, did you wonder, how on earth such rubbish passed the desk of the editor? Um,
0: Not in this day and age, it didn't (laughs) make
1: Yes, well, it is unfortunate, isn't it? Because notwithstanding my personal views about The Economist for some decades, Uh, it it does have an international reputation, particularly in the United States.
0: Yes, um, uh, you are right. It shouldn't have passed an editor's death, but all too often we see um, examples of um, that sort of contentious rubbish being promoted as uh, legitimate opinion.
1: Yes, it's surprising how many international journals do contain untruths of significance. For example, the uh, a large number of American newspapers and journals published that story about the Hunter Biden laptop. Remember when Hunter Biden laptops was found and uh, uh, 51 American former people in, uh, in spying and intelligence published a letter in the American newspapers in which they said that this this story of the laptop bore all the earmarks of russian intervention in the election and then all of the uh, all of the uh, social media and most of the mainstream press then stopped publishing anything about it that that i think demonstrates what can happen in relation to Absolutely. the modern media Well, Peter, you've been very generous with your time and I'm sorry that uh, we actually began the recording late, but uh, you were very generous, as I say, and you've given us a lot of our time. Your book is very significant and I would encourage people if they want to know something more about the referendum and get an objective comment, which does come down on one conclusion as objectivity will. Remember that a jury is also objective, and this is a very good judgment piece I've written. I have to admit that I did write the foreword to the book, so uh, I am interested, but I only wrote the foreword because I was so impressed by the book, because I'm also very impressed by Peter O'Brien, who's quite a remarkable, not quite a remarkable man, a remarkable man who's doing so much in so many ways and making a major contribution from his military service, making a major contribution to Australia. So once again, Peter, thank you very much. You've uh, really worked very hard, and I, I do feel that uh, we should be most uh, most thankful to you for making this contribution to the life of our nation. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, David, for your generous words. I appreciate everything you have done in, in supporting me.
1: This is Slave of the Nation, ADH TV. I'm David Flint and until next time.